I want to speak to you this morning, kind of a little more of a devotional challenge um, on diversifying your investment portfolio. That sounds like totally boring for the kids, but it, it, now it, it, you'll understand it as we go along. A commercial painter and an amateur photographer from California named Rick Norsigian went to a garage sale in 2000, the year 2000. He's looking through some old dusty boxes and he saw a couple of boxes containing 65 plate glass negatives, which as a photographer, it's like, oh, cool, these are those old, old glass negatives. Thinking they might be an interesting collector's item, he, uh, he bought them for about $45. Oh, he put them, took them home and he put them under his pool table and he forgot about them for four years. And then looking at them one day, he realized the black and white images might be actually too valuable to store at home. And so on a, a nudge, he uh, decided to put together a team of art and forensic and handwriting and weather experts to evaluate these pictures. And sure enough, they concluded that the 65 glass plates in the boxes were photographic negatives created more than 80 years ago by Ansel Adams, the iconic American photographer whose images of the West inspired our country. What was in the boxes, two boxes he paid $45 for, were estimated to be worth more than $200 million. Now that was a good investment. Actually, some would say that really wasn't an investment in the true sense of the word because it was just like, he didn't buy them with the idea necessarily of finding that kind of value. He was just interested in a collector's thing. So investment. An investment is simply this, and we learn it from the business world, nature and science and scripture and everything. An investment is four components in this definition. It's forsaking the present enjoyment of something, an asset, in order to place it in an investment vehicle, which is not, it's not a car, but it's like, Real estate, buying real estate, which will increase the value of the asset over time for later enjoyment. So you have these four ideas, forsaking current use, putting it into something that's going to grow over time, and then eventually harvesting that for later enjoyment. An investment portfolio is a collection of short and long-term investments in things like stocks, bonds, mutual funds, real estate, precious metals. They say that you're supposed to diversify your investment portfolio. You've heard the expression, don't put all your eggs in one basket. The idea is if I drop the basket, all the eggs break at once. So if I put everything in precious metals, then something happens to the precious metals market, I lose my entire wealth. So the idea is to diversify into things, some that are short range, some that are long range, in the hope that one day you'll be able to enjoy it. Most people invest toward their retirement. But death tends to stop your retirement. A new study of the world's population revealed that the expected mortality rate among humans is still 100%. Researchers at Harvard University confirmed on Tuesday. The surprising study found that given enough time, every single person on this planet will pass away completely irrespective of wealth, class, gender, race, nationality, or creed. So said the Babylon Bee. <laughs> Death is the great leveler. Caskets 
have no trailers. You can't take it with you. Or can you? Mm-hmm. It's interesting. When we look at missions, and we talk about the why of missions. Why should we be living missionally? Why should we be moving cross-culturally with the gospel? There are a number of different motivations for why we do what we do. Obviously, this is the number one, and Jeff mentioned this last night. Missions is ultimately what we call doxological. It's a fancy term. It just means for the glory and the praise of our God because we want to make him known. Our job as Christians is to make God famous no matter where we go. Famous through people looking at our lives and saying, whoa, that's what Jesus' followers look like. Famous through the words that we speak, confirming what they may see in us as being true. We might also look into the future and say, well, one of the things we're doing, one of the motivations is ultimately Revelation 4 and 5 to bring more worshipers before the throne. That's really cool, you know? If you look back in Genesis 10, you got this table of nations. All of humanity was together, and God went boom and just scattered them by confusing their languages. All of a sudden, they were speaking Norwegian and German and French and Swahili and Japanese and, you know... Somebody was saying, guten tag, and the other was, konnichiwa. And so they got really irritated at each other, and they spread out. And Paul tells us in Acts 17, the reason God spread out mankind is because when mankind gets together, it almost always is against God. So he spread them out in the hopes that they would seek for him and find him, though Paul said he's not very far from any one of us. The problem was, Men started settling on lies instead of seeking out the true God. And so then it became, I need to get my truth out to the people of the nations. I will call out one nation, Israel. You will be a light to the Gentiles. Well, good luck with that. Israel didn't do very well in being a light. So Jesus came, fulfilled this creation of the core message of the gospel. And then what was the command? Go into all the nations. Go into all the nations because as nations split and spread out in Genesis 10, they're going to come back together in Revelation all around the throne, people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And so the thing that drives us is this bringing together worshipers of the Lord. That's, that's cool. Um, we could say for the love of our God, causing our hearts to mirror his. Isaiah spent time with the Lord, saw the Lord high and lifted up in Isaiah 6. And yet he realized that the Lord was looking out. And he said, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And so if you spend time with our God, you realize he's not just wanting cozy time with you guys. He's wanting mission because our God is on a mission. He sent his son on a mission. His son sent us on a mission. So we're part of this going process. And our love is capturing his heart and his love for the nations. Well, we could say we go into missions because we're obeying the Great Commission. And that can be done right here in the Seattle area, or it could be done abroad. Some and would say, well, it's because of your love for the lost and to spare your target people group from a Christless eternity. And so when you come to a missions conference, you will see all of these themes to one extent or another. You know, the glory of God or saving the lost and what are they going to do without us? We need, you know, we need to bring them the gospel and that type of thing. But one thing you don't hear very much, and for that reason I decided to bring it up, was a certain element of 
self-interest in the gospel. That part of our rationale and our motivation for getting involved in spreading the gospel is for ourselves. Now, the New Testament is full of this personal profit incentive. Otherwise, I really would not have mentioned it. God allows self-interest in the Great Commission by promising reward for heartfelt sacrifice. And so even Jesus and Paul made recommended eternal investments. For instance, uh, blessed are you when men speak evil of you and they persecute you and say all manner of evil against you for my name's sake. For great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets that were before you. He said, actually, rejoice and be exceeding glad. Uh, King James, sorry, that's what I memorized it as a kid. Uh, hop up and down for joy. That sounds like the message or something, you know? He says, really get elated, because when you take a beating, when kids are like, oh, what an idiot. You're nothing but one of those stupid Christians. You believe in God, all that stuff. Just be like, it's not, this isn't easy to take, but I'm going to be really happy, because all I hear in the background is, cha-ching. I'm laying up treasures in heaven. Why? You're per if you say bad stuff against me, God's like, that's my boy. That's my girl. They're taking that heat for me. That's one of the reasons, I think, why Jesus said, woe be to you if men speak well of you. You know, sometimes we get out in the, in the business profession. I used to be a lawyer in Philadelphia for seven years, and I you kind of worry about how people think of you. I mean, come on, you got clients, you got business deals wrapped up in this stuff, and if they know you're a Christian and they know you're an, an evangelistic Christian, this, this could, you could take a beating. You might actually lose reward here, but you'll be gaining reward in heaven, Jesus said. Showing compassion to the needy, and this, as you can tell, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, we're moving into the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, if you give your alms to the poor in a quiet and private way, you'll have treasure in heaven. The asset when you're helping the needy and the poor, the asset is giving of my time. I'm giving of my energy. I'm giving of my money. You shouldn't ever just throw money at a beggar. That is a big mistake. You're doing more hurt than helping. So getting involved with them, this takes time. A beggar is a, an invitation for a relationship. Really? I'm going to spend that kind of time, that money, that energy. When you do that, what you're doing is you're giving up the asset of my time, my comfort. It might take you to places that are uncomfortable, the other side of the tracks, places that rich people don't want to see. And you go there and you're undergoing risk and all of these things. What you're doing is you're giving up comfort, time, assets, all of these things. And what you're doing is you're throwing them over into eternity. The way I want you to view it, and I, I got to find me a graphic artist. If any of you know a, a good graphic artist, let me know. I'm looking for this picture, and I haven't been able to find it on the internet. It's like I'm here on this side of the platform, and right down the middle, there is a, uh, it's like a clear membrane, kind of a, okay? On the other side of this membrane is eternity. It's like heaven. It's like, and, and the cool thing is that this membrane, you can only reach through it in one direction. So nothing passes through this way. But if I take an asset in my hand, money, time, energy, food, we'll look at it in a second, 
and I pass it through, my hand can go through the membrane and I can drop that treasure on the other side. And then I can pull my hand back out through. Now I can't reach in later and, and grab that. The cool thing is when I drop it on the other side into my bucket, as soon as it's there, that thing starts to grow. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking through the membrane. I'm like, that is so cool. Look at that. It's just growing. If I really believed that to be so, I'd be putting a whole lot more stuff through this membrane. And what I'm telling you is it's true. Huh? Not the membrane. But you can take assets and you can put them through, mm -hmm. drop it into eternity, and that stuff starts growing as it's sitting there. Compassion for the needy. Spending time talking to the Father. You know, spend time in secret talking to God. Don't pray out in the marketplace. Don't pray outside. Don't pray, you know. Uh, you get virtually no credit when you open the morning service and Sunday in prayer. Virtually no credit. Uh, because everybody's watching and they're like, he prays so good, you know, it's just amazing, you know. <laughs> Boom, there goes all your treasure. Just watch it disappear on the other side, you know. You're giving up, what are you giving up when you pray to the Father? Giving time, you may be giving up sleep. Well, you know, life's busy. I get up in the morning, I grab my coffee and check my social media and then boom, I'm out the door. I don't have time for, yeah, I don't really seem to take time to really talk to the Father. The Father knows that it's not easy to believe in a God you cannot see and to talk to someone who doesn't seem to be there. And so when you do speak with him, not only does he love it, but he also gives you credit for it. He says, you will receive reward. Your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Fasting, for its many reasons. I can't go into this. Fasting is a huge and great and wonderful topic. Most Americans have a hard time pronouncing the word fa fa fast, fast. We can say Chick-fil-A, we can say supersize my double whopper. Uh, we can pronounce a lot of other words, but pronouncing the word fast is really hard for most of us. We don't tend to do it. Jesus said, when, not if, when you fast, okay, don't be like the guys, you know, or like, you know, put a little bit of a charcoal on your face and go around, yes, I'm fasting today. I'm giving my best to the Lord there goes your reward, okay? When you do it to be seen, he says, rise, get up, take a shower, look like your normal self as you're going through the day. Don't tell anyone. That's not the point. Because if you have praise of men, forget it. So fasting, obviously spending money for God's kingdom. The asset is money or wealth. In other places, outside of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus mentions that it's not what you're giving but what percentage you give, are you giving till it hurts? Number two, how much is left after you've given? In other words, are you giving sacrificially? Like the widow's might, remember? She's put in more than the others because she gave out of her poverty. So when you do that and you give sacrificially as to the Lord, that lays up actually treasure in heaven. And then he also says, proclaiming the gospel. The apostle Paul says, if I preach the gospel willingly, I receive a reward. 
But even if I don't want to do it, I'm under obligation to do it. So if I preach or if I share, don't, don't think of preaching as up here. But if I take my friend to coffee and I share with them about the gospel over coffee, I'm receiving a reward because I'm opening myself up for risk, for rejection, for maybe a distancing in that friendship where I've worked hard to build that friendship with a lost friend. There's a lot of things that I'm giving up and sacrificing for Jesus' sake and for the gospel's sake. And then, of course, all passages about the crowns, talking about the the rewards, the crown of righteousness or the overcomer's crown. So your motives must be pure, warning, motives must be pure. Being noticed equals present enjoyment. God, keep you from public praise masquerading as moral principle or social justice in this age of the selfie. Difficult for missionaries because we have to take pictures of what we're doing and send it back to you guys for accountability. You're paying us for a reason, you know? I remember as a lawyer, everybody's complaint was, I never hear from my lawyer. That's the same complaint of missionaries. I never hear from our mission. We never hear from our missionaries. So we do take pictures and we send it back, not to say, hey, it's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and us. You know, it's not, not building ourselves up, but we're trying to document the kind of work that we're doing so that you know where your money's going. So be careful of the motivation. But missionaries can run into this. So um, kind of the building up of self, yeah, we're super missionaries type of thing. But I want to hone in on one principle that is unlike any other principle in this investment realm in the scripture. And it is found in Matthew 19, verses 27 to 30. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first, let me change that. Many who are first will be last. And the last, first. The context of this passage is the rich young ruler. Comes to Jesus and says, I want to inherit eternal life. Jesus, it's funny, Jesus Jesus messes with people. He says, good master, I would inherit eternal life. Jesus says, good? Why are you calling me good? There's none good but God. And the guy's like, oh, okay. I, I, you know, I still want to inherit eternal life. And he says, all right, well, go and keep all the commandments. No, but I've been a really good kid. I've done this, all this since my youth. And Jesus hones in on a competing God. He says, well, I tell you what. I want you to go and I want you to sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. Interesting, guys. It's not the way we do modern ministry, is it? Go and sell all that you have. Bring it here to our ministry. You'll have a reward in heaven. Jesus said, go, go give it to the poor. You'll have reward in heaven. And then come and follow me. And what happened? That rich young ruler said, <laughs> sell everything that I have? What are you, nuts? I've got a lot of assets. I, I can't just be, ah. And he went away sorrowing because he had a lot of wealth. I kind of believe, it's speculation, but I kind of believe if the rich young ruler had said, very well, I will do that, and walked away, Jesus might have said to him, that will not be necessary. Because he was looking for his heart. He wasn't looking for him necessarily to give it all away. But he was looking for him to say, 
I'm holding all of my assets with an open hand. If you want me to convey it to someone else, I will do that because I want to have treasure in heaven. Well, what happened? He went away sorrowing, and Jesus kind of looked at him. He looks at his disciples, and he says, it is so hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. I, you know what? It's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the, and you see the disciples like bugging their eyes out like, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, yeah, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so Peter, he's thinking, okay, so if you leave all your stuff and you come and follow Jesus, you'll have treasure in heaven. And he says, well, we've left all, I left the fishing business. We left all to follow you. What will we have? And Jesus answers him and he says, you who have followed me, you will rule on 12 thrones over the, tribe of, over the tribes of Israel. Pretty amazing statement Jesus made. And then he breaks out with this comment. My whole life shapes around this verse. He said, and everyone. So he moves off of the apostles and he throws this principle down through time and he says, everyone who leaves for my sake and the gospel's sake will receive a hundredfold. This is the only time he mentions a return, a guaranteed return on the investment. He says a hundredfold. In no other place does he really mention that. This is what Mark says in Mark 10. Same, it's a parallel passage, but a little different. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields, some translations have farms for me and the gospel, will fail to receive a hundred times as much. This is the NIV. In this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So it's a fascinating principle. He's saying, number one, there's great reward, great reward for those who leave the familiar for Jesus and the gospel. The reward is specified 100, 100 times and may be divided between this life and the real life to come. You see, we have a, Karen and I are on Facebook. Facebook is kind of, in, in some ways, God's gift to us to be able to communicate um, really well and really quickly with supporting people and people who are interested. Uh, it helps keep prayer moving very quickly. So we'll say, hey, pray for us. We're going out to Seattle to visit Edgewood Bible Church. We're gonna do a missions conference. Pray that the Lord will slay the hearts of everyone. No, I didn't say that. Um, but we actually posted. And so we have people on that prayer group in Facebook from 18 different countries. Friends of ours, places that we've been, homes that we've visited. You know what? We have homes all over the world that Karen and I, if there were a crisis, we could stay in those homes for months. We have walked away from our four precious children and their spouses. We have nine grandchildren. When we leave in August, we will be moving at least 8,000 miles from all of them. I have a daughter and son-in-law in China, so they're already way far away. But we have children everywhere as well. 
Wherever we have worked, wherever we have mentored young adults, they call us Mama and Papa B, you know, uh, or Uncle Dave or Auntie Karen. They know us as close personal friends and mentors. It's kind of like when Jesus said, you know, they said, your mother and your brothers are outside. He said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? It's throwing up the idea there that you have to understand when you work for the gospel's sake, Yes, you are giving up closeness with family, but in another way, you're going to get a family that is far bigger and far more special than anything you could have dreamt. I've had supporters at times come up and say, your laptop's looking kind of old. Let's go shopping. Never had that happen when I was a lawyer. (laughs) Never had people say, you need a four by four pickup? We're on that. And boom, you know. $20,000, $30,000 is there. Never happened to me as a lawyer. It's like, go buy one yourself, you know? So it's interesting how life is different when you are involved in ministry. And the order in eternity will be different. I just wonder how we could have missed this. Christians who have everything tied up in temporal investments They haven't diversified their investment portfolio between time and eternity. It's lumped up here, and they got a trickle, trickle, trickle over here. They're going to be paupers on this side. Maybe that's you. Don't let that happen. Those who have sacrificed and given up the present enjoyment of the assets of energy, time, sleep, food, money, comfort, relatives, home, security, prestige, will be wealthy in the kingdom. I am contemplating getting a couple of tattoos. But it's going to be really, really painful. I'm going to ask the tattoo parlor to roll back my eyelids and tattoo on the inside of my eyelids eternity so that every time I blink, because your eyes are lying to you right now, Nice paint job and nice carpet, but everything in here is going to burn one day. Everything. There are two things in this room that will last forever. Word of God and the souls of people. And our job, the reason you exist, is to connect one with the other. The word of God with people. That is what life is about. We're very familiar with the missionary Jim Elliott who said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Peter said, we have an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, which never fades away, reserved in heaven for us, if you choose to make those investments. I'm going to close with a little piece that I wrote a while ago. And here's a picture. So you can either look at this picture while you're listening Or you can freeze this in your mind and close your eyes. That's dangerous after breakfast, I understand. But I think think I'll be able to keep you awake. Close your eyes and imagine that the years have passed and that you have died. Passing through the cloudy mists of light in your next conscious thought, you're standing on a great white plain spreading as far as you can see in every direction. And in front of you is a large white building that somewhat resembles a church from your earthen days. You're in a long line in a single file outside of the building, yet 
Neither you nor those in front of you or behind you have any sense of dread, but just perfect peace and joy. No one speaks and no one is concerned for the time. At long last, you are in front of the line and the doors open and you enter a great white hall with a large platform in the middle, about three feet high, so just a little taller than this one. And on that platform is a large pile of something. Beyond the platform is a great crimson curtain from ceiling to floor, from wall to wall. There is a man standing to your left dressed in white. You gather that he is angelic in nature. You ask, where, where am I? And, and what is this large pile on the platform? He answers, this is the judgment seat of Christ. And upon the platform are all of your works in Christ. All of your words, thoughts, and deeds since the moment you believed in Jesus have been reduced to physical form and are piled here on this platform. A little worried, <laughs> you ask, may I take a look? The angel nods and adds that you have only a few minutes. You climb up on the platform and your eyes scan the pile. You see straw, pieces of dried wood, dried corn husks. Looks like a lot of dust and rubbish, like a dried up compost pile. The angel says nothing. Suddenly your eyes catch a ray of light from the pile, something shimmering. You pull from the dust a picture of golden apples in a silver frame. You look at the angel with a puzzled expression. Words of kind advice, he says. You gave an inspiring talk at a church during a crisis meeting that held that church together. Your expression still struggles for meaning. The angel continues, don't you remember the words of Proverbs, like apples of gold and settings of silver as a word spoken in the right circumstances? You remember, <laughs> yeah, but I didn't think that was literal. You try to grab a stick, but find that it continues on and on and wraps throughout the pile. Again, you turn to the angel. A root of bitterness, he responds seriously. You confess that it, it is a terrible thing. Not so terrible as it used to be, answers the angel. No, oh, it was a horrid and foul-smelling thing before the sin was taken out of it. Now what's left is just dried wood. To the left, you reach for a massive beam that had been partially uncovered, horrified to think what it might be. But the one end of the beam seems to be covered in gold or to be solid gold. Again, you turn questioningly to the angel. Your career, it used to be all about you and stuff and status. And you became prosperous. But then you became disillusioned. But one day your pastor's words penetrated your heart and you realized that everything in your life was about serving Christ, even in your work. Your whole motivation and work ethic changed and the wood started to become gold. 
You grope through the dust in a desperate search to find more that is meaningful. Finally, a cluster of beautiful stones like diamonds, some blue and some pink. Hospitality to believers and unbelievers. Your home must have been an open place, the angel volunteers, knowing that you would ask. As the angel climbs onto the platform near you, he adds, and the rubies near your foot were the wisdom that you conveyed to the young ones as you taught them in the eight years before your death. And here are two star diamonds for those who came to Christ through your witness. But you hesitated to correct an angel, especially if it meant losing a reward. But I never led anyone to Christ, you said with a wince. With an eyebrow raised, the angel responded, No, but you managed to share enough truth with two of your co-workers. They trusted in Christ after your funeral, and they are doing very well. But now it's time to step back, the angel adds with some urgency. The fire is coming, and the pile will be burned, and what's left will be gathered together and forged into a crown for you, for you to give to the king tomorrow. For it is not the size of the pile that matters, but what is left after the fire. Only what endures is what matters. As you jump back off the platform, above you the roof begins to open to the blue sky. And as it does, the curtain opens behind the platform, revealing a radiant light behind it. And as the curtain continues to draw open and your eyes adjust to the light, you see that it is not just a light, but it is the light. It is none other than Jesus, the king on his throne, your savior, your Lord and friend, the one who gave his life for you and saved you to live your life for him. The whole sad picture begins to come together in a crushing reality to your soul and the tears to flow. No, no. I will have so little to give him a shamefully small crown. I'm so sorry. If I could do it over again, it would be different. So different. Fire descends out of a blue sky through the opening in the roof and cascades over the pile, setting it ablaze. You know it will be hot because there is so much dry combustible material in that pile. The fire is immense, and you cower away, crumbling to your knees, feeling the heat on your back and the tears flowing down into the hands that cover your face. The fire dies down and then disappears. The curtain has been closed. From the right, you see two men dressed in white enter the room, each with a dustpan and brush. They sweep up the glowing gems and gold and place them carefully in a small wheelbarrow leaving the platform clean and white again. As they leave, you ask the angel, will I get to see the Lord? Tomorrow is the presentation day. He will see you then. How could you have mixed emotions about meeting Jesus? But you do. The tears flow again. If I could just re-enter time, just back it up, and do it all over again. It would be different. So different. Now open your eyes. You're back in 2018.
how are you going to spend the rest of your life? 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So my encouragement and challenge to you this morning is to make eternal investments and to start now. Let's close in prayer. God, our Father, thank you for this enormous privilege that you give to us. Such an odd thing that you've done, that you allow us to have some self-interest in investing in eternity. That these deeds your son and Paul told us about, that we can, we can engage in these things and we can suffer loss now, but suffer such magnifying gain for the life to come. Father, thank you that that investment is not like our stock market, that it is eternal and it does not fade away and it's reserved in heaven for us. But Father, help us to consider our lives now and to consider what level of investment we have and whether we have diversified enough assets into eternity or whether we will be paupers there. God, spare us from such a fate through your grace, work in our hearts, begin making greater investments. And Father, this big investment that you've called some to, this hundredfold investment, it involves such pain, it involves leaving. Missionaries are those who leave. And so I pray for some here, perhaps, to count that greater cost and to make that huge investment for the sake of your name and your gospel. Because you alone, are worthy of our pain. And so we offer these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.